Hello, this is Bruce, and for the next hour, I'll be reading from the March 30th, 2023 issue of the East Aurora Advisor on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Front page. Village taxes will increase in the next fiscal year by Shelley Furillo. The tentative budget for the village of East Aurora is complete and ready for review. The $9.4 million budget is $400,000 higher than the current budget, and it includes a tax increase of 2.94%. The budget line for the school resource officer, SRO, is going from $117,000 to $150,000. A part-time SRO was recently hired to split his time between Parkdale Elementary and East Aurora Middle School on Main Street. East Aurora Union Free School District will reimburse the village for this expense. The mayor's salary will see a $300 increase, and each trustee will earn an additional $200. The rest of the village administrative staff at Village Hall will also see an increase. The cost of fuel, oil, and grease is expected to increase $15,000. The police budget will see an increase of $250,000. These additional expenses account for wages and salaries, longevity payments, overtime, vehicles, and equipment. The fire department budget is increasing by $34,000. The department estimated that electric costs will increase by $5,500, supplies will increase by $6,000, and EMS services will increase by almost $13,000. The total expenditures for 2023-2024 is estimated to be over $9.4 million. A public hearing is scheduled for the budget at 7 p.m. on April 3rd at the Aurora Municipal Center on Oakwood Avenue. The village meeting will take place right after the public hearing. Chris Hawley, South Wales native, urban homesteader, Buffalo preservationist, by Rick Oler. Don't you miss being out in the country? I I posed this question to South Wales native Chris Hawley as we were leaving his Eugene V. Debs Hall a social club tavern meeting space on Buffalo's east side last Saturday night. Hawley pointed to the other side of Peckham Street in the city's Broadway Fillmore district where not a single single house stood. Each one had been demolished since former Mayor Jimmy Griffin's scorched earth campaign against dilapidated housing had become the rage in the 1980s and 90s, leaving a grassy area the size of a city block. Most of my neighbors are deer and wild turkeys, he said, only half kidding. It's a bit like being in the country, like living in South Wales in the middle of the city. And not only that, but Common Roots Urban Farm is just down the street. Chris Hawley is an urban homesteader who, at age 42, has taken an admirable leap of faith and invested in a neighborhood in Buffalo that most would call a desert and carefully avoid. In 2020, he bought a 131-year-old former tavern in the shadow of the iconic but neglected Central Terminal at Peckham and Clark Streets. 
The building, previously Al's Place, had been shuttered and vacant since 1991. For $40,000, he became the owner of the structure, built in 1892 and reconfigured by the Schreiber Brewing Company in 1914. It had remained remarkably sound, dry and tight, after so many years of disuse, but nothing inside worked. Holly would have to redo everything. Electric, water, heat, roof. It was basically a large box, a two-story storage shed, he recalled. The work required was arduous, but Holly has a passion for historic preservation. He had a noble vision of an inner-city street corner rising, phoenix-like from the ashes of urban decay and hopefully inspiring a neighborhood to follow suit. He looked at the perfectly preserved oak bar, the beer cooler, the fireplace, the kitchen, some vintage fixtures, the storefront windows, and the apartment upstairs, and saw a way to live his dream. At 483 Peckham, Holly could own a piece of the city he was working to preserve. It has been a long and expensive journey, but he hasn't been alone. While he went on to hire a lot of the rehabilitation work at considerable cost, he also received help from steadfast volunteers like East Aurora carpenter and painter Bill Shanahan, who jumped in to make Debs Hall a reality. The name Eugene V. Debs will be familiar to some. Hawley is a student of the local and national labor movements, so in the Peckham Street Project he saw an opportunity to commemorate the labor and working-class histories of Buffalo and honor the memory of one of, the, one of my favorite characters in American history, trade unionist, socialist, and five-time candidate for president, Eugene V. Debs. The preservationalist in Hawley knew that just buying and restoring the building would not be enough. I knew if I wanted to be all in, to make a real commitment, I would have to live here as well, over the tavern. For much of the 20th century and earlier, early tavern owner, bakery owner, grocery, deli owner, shopkeeper lived that way. It was a sustainable way of running a business. Why pay two mortgages? There's not much physical distinction between the bar and my home. Walk through those doors, he said, leading us beyond the bar room on a tour of the premises. And it's my apartment. I live upstairs with canine and feline roommates, Luca and Sputnik, respectively. But the only kitchen in the building is the tavern's first floor kitchen. This building is actually a recognized architectural type that preservationalists call a shop house. I'm in the process of asking the National Register of Historic Places to grant my building status as an intact example of a shop house. Much ink has been spilled and much has been made of the landmarks of the wealthy, but not much for the working class. Holly's path to this shop house on Peckham Street began with his parents, Ron Holly and Maureen Leahy, on Lewis Road in South Wales, around the corner from Hollyville, as he calls it, on Cornwall Road, still home to many of his Holly relatives. Aunt Carolee said, my jet-setting, city-loving, no-kids-of-her-own aunt took me on my first, first tour of Buffalo and opened my eyes to its architecture. She showed me the Guarantee Building, Ellicott Square, City Hall, everything. I had my first cappuccino at Lord Chumley's on Delaware Avenue. 
I was convinced that someday I would live here and be an urban planner. After high school in South Carolina, Holly went on to New York University, where he earned a degree in urban planning. In 2009, he signed on as an urban planner for the city of Buffalo. We've rewritten the city's zoning code, he says, of his 14 years so far, as the city's historic preservation planner. I had a big part in writing the Buffalo Green Code, in many ways resurrection, resurrecting this place and opening the Debs Hall as me doing what I want to see happen as a city planner. One of the changes in the Green Code was to allow the reuse of commercial buildings, regardless of the zoning in their location. For instance, this place is a historic corner bar, a neighborhood tradition in Buffalo, a city that once upon a time had corner taverns everywhere. An ill-conceived 1953 zoning ordinance made it impossible for a place like this, a tavern within a neighborhood not located on a main thoroughfare like Fillmore or Bailey, to be resurrected. So when Al's place closed in 1991, it could not be reopened without a special use variance. Its only use would have been residential, and that was unlikely. The new code we rewrote allows for legacy historical buildings to be reopened. We also removed minimum parking requirements. As you can see, in a neighborhood where so many buildings have been demolished or stand vacant, parking is not an issue. We do have bike parking, though. I am hoping and I believe that others will follow my lead. We are rejuvenating a forgotten part of the city. As evidence of the rejuvenation, he told us about his day so far at the hall, which now sports fixtures, memorabilia, and furniture reminiscent of the bar's heyday of 1914 to 1945, when John Kercharski was the saloon keeper. On Saturday, March 25th, the Eugene V. Debs Hall hosted the Central Terminal Neighborhood Association, Buffalo Bike Tours, and the Buffalo Democratic Socialists in an eight-hour succession of gatherings. Slow Row Buffalo was coming in the following Monday, and Holly was set to celebrate Women's History Month on Tuesday, with screenings of Citizen Jane and Bertha Didn't Die, She Multiplied. Other events include Chef Steve Knight, Player Piano Nights, he's got hundreds of roles that play on the ancient but sweet-sounding upright, and occasional live music. The Eugene V. Krebs Hall is not a public bar per se, only members and guests are allowed, except for special events like Dingus Day. Membership is $10 a year. So far, 253 members, city dwellers and suburbanites as well, have joined. Holly is very active in the Central Terminal Neighborhood Association, sharing, in our first meeting last year, we set goals for the neighborhood in 2032. These goals are part of a long-range plan to improve the neighborhood over the course of 10 years. The association's meeting that morning also discussed urban farming on the vacant lots, Dingus Day, progress on the central terminal restoration, and the vision going forward. It's a good group. They're engaged in the future of the neighborhood. You know this area lost 85% of its population between 1960 and 2010. 
but of the 17,000 people who have moved to Buffalo since 2010, a third have moved into this neighborhood. Many of them are immigrants. Things are improving. This corner was dark and silent for 29 years. Now, there's life. Find the Eugene V. Debs Hall on Facebook and Instagram. Membership cards reinstituted for community pool access. Reinstituted. A new method of accessing the community pool has been implemented by the Aurora Recreation Department. The department has reinstituted the use of membership cards this year, which each member will receive. The cards will also link to a digital pass, which can be accessed on the user's phone when using the pool. Upon signing up for membership, which can be done online or in person, each member will be asked to pick up their card at the Recreational Department office in the Aurora Municipal Building on Oakwood Avenue. A photo will be taken and linked to the individual's pass to cut down on unauthorized pass sharing. The Recreation Department is open Monday through Friday from 8.30 a.m. until 4.30 p.m. Opening day for East Aurora Community Pool is June 30th. Parent Voices Concerns About Book in School Library by David Dahl, Correspondent A Town of Elma resident has complained to the Marilla Town Board about a book in the Iroquois Middle School's library that she finds inappropriate. Aaliyah Shepard raised concerns to the town board about Heartstopper, a romance novel that contains sexual language, during the board's work session Tuesday night, March 21st. She would like the book to be removed from the library because she believes 5th and 6th graders should not have access to it. The book is about two teenage boys that develop feelings for each other, and it is part of a series of four books about teenagers navigating through feelings of homosexuality and friendship. The first book in the series was published in 2016. In 2022, a British production company turned the book series into a comedy series for Netflix. The series is rated TV-14. Developmentally, they're just not ready for it, she said. Her friend's daughter, a fifth grader, has checked the book out of the library. A parent of a four-year-old, she expressed concerns about children not knowing how to interpret the book. She also worries it will confuse special needs children. As a speech therapist who works with children, some of whom are in special education, Shepard said that she fears they may not know how to navigate the book's material. Supervisor Earl Gingrich said he has discussed the issue with Superintendent Douglas Schofield, who told him the book was never meant to be available to middle school students, and the issue has been raised before. He told me the book was supposed to be pulled a while ago, he said. No school district officials attended the work session. Gingrich suggested she take her concerns to the school board and the parent-teacher organization. In another matter, the board appointed Sean Slammon to the planning board after accepting resignations from Eric Leroy, board chairman, and Chuck Manganero. 
board members voted four to nothing, with Councilman Brian Nolan absent. In addition, the board chose Wendy Schottenwetter, an alternate board member since January, as the chairwoman. They will consider placing Will Elbers on the board and naming Alexandria Trimble and Carrie Jerolowski as alternate board members when they conduct the next regular meeting at 7 p.m. on April 13th. The board will meet at the Marilla Town Hall, located on Two Rod Road. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the East Aurora Advertiser on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Article on the front page, Local Family Rises to the Challenge of Rare Disorder. Article by Shelley Ferrillo, Editor. Technically, she's one in 125, but East Aurora residents Audra and Eric Doring know their daughter Eloise is one in a million. Four-year-old Eloise is a student in the Universal Pre-Kindergarten, UPK, program at Parkdale Elementary School on Girard Avenue. In December of 2022, she was diagnosed with CHAMP-1 disorder. Patients with this disorder have a reduction in the CHAMP-1 protein, below the 50% minimum which is necessary for proper neurological function and development. Eloise has delays and, and is in an integrative classroom receiving a variety of special education therapies. She loves to sing. She can speak 200 words. She has swim therapy once a week to strengthen her muscles, and she loves to play with her bitty baby American Girl doll. She's hell on wheels, Audra Doring said, who participated in the interview. Eloise is one of 125 cases of Champ One known around the world, her mom said. She may be the only case in New York. There is no known cure. March 20th was Champ One Awareness Day, and Niagara Falls was lit up in the shade of purple at night for awareness of the disorder. Eloise, together with her parents and her big brother Stephen, visited the falls that evening with friends and family members to witness the event. The Dorings hope to spread awareness about the disorder as the school community celebrates Inclusion Week and they want to share in their gratitude to the district for supplying Eloise with all of the therapies she needs. Compared to other children with an identical diagnosis, she is thriving. I think this is because of the therapy, Doring said. The support from the classroom and the community has been amazing. The diagnosis of CHAMP-1 is relatively new to the family, but the symptoms of the disorder are not. Doring said that her pregnancy with Eloise was completely normal, and she was full term. Eloise cried a lot as a baby, and her brother Stephen had colic as an infant, so Doring just rolled with it, assuming it was par for the course. As Eloise approached her first birthday, her language skills were not developing, and she could not stand unassisted. She was missing milestones that other children her age were reaching, and the family pediatrician suggested that they receive early intervention therapy. This took place during the early stages of the pandemic. 
Sometimes we had to meet outside in parking lots just to get therapy. It was a very challenging time, Doring said. Over the next several years, Eloise also suffered from physical symptoms that other children her age were not experiencing. In addition to emergency abdominal surgery, she was diagnosed with precancerous metaplasia, which is when the cells lining the stomach and digestive system mutate. Eloise was vomiting all the time. She was diagnosed with Dandy Walker syndrome and cyclical vomiting syndrome here in Buffalo, but the family thought something was being missed. We thought we were doing going crazy, Doring said. We got brave and decided to get a second opinion at Philadelphia's Children's Hospital. Their first visit was on the road, and it was a hard visit for Eloise. Friends suggested to the Dorings that they reach out to Wings Flights of Hope, a nonprofit that transports people by air to medical appointments. They did, and it made traveling to the children's hospital for therapies and testing easier and more comfortable. By December of 2022, Eloise received a diagnosis of CHAMP-1 disorder. The answer provided the family with a sense of relief. When I read the list of symptoms from the disorder, it described my child, Doring said. For years, I thought I was going crazy. Every time I turned around, there was something wrong with her ears, then her eyes, then her abdomen. When you are looking at each individualistic thing, it becomes overwhelming. Once I had confirmation that everything was related and there was a reason, it felt like I could handle it. In school, Eloise receives speech therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, swim therapy, and music therapy. Through the Champ One community, the Dorings know of another little girl with the same protein deficiency who cannot walk, does not talk, and uses a feeding tube. Doring attributes Eloise's success to the support at the school and early intervention. Eloise enjoys music therapy the most. Once a week, a musical therapist comes to Parkdale with a guitar, and she sings nursery rhymes and other songs with the children to practice verbalizing. Having music therapy one day a week has been one of the biggest ways we have seen our daughter have language come out. I commend our district for making music therapy available. I know there is an expense to it, Doring said. There is something magical about song. I see more confidence in her. Since a diagnosis, the family has become involved with the Champ One Research Foundation, and her parents are becoming accustomed to caring for a daughter with a disorder that does not have a cure. Doring believes that there are many others out there who are living with the wrong diagnosis, just like Eloise was, and she hopes to raise awareness and money for her for more testing. It's hard to advocate for something that only helps 125 people in the world, but these kids matter too, she said. To learn more about CHAMP1 disorder, visit champ1foundation.org. To donate in Eloise's name for research, visit visit givebutter.com backslash Eloise Champ1 Research. Meetings. The Aurora Town Board will meet on Monday, April 10th at 6.30 p.m. 
at 585 Oakwood Avenue. You can visit townofaurora.com on the day of the meeting to learn more. The next Marilla Town Board meeting is scheduled for Thursday, April 13th at 7 p.m. in the Town Hall located on 2 Rod Road. The Elma Town Board will meet on Wednesday, April 12th at 6 p.m. in the Elma Town Hall located at 1600 Bowen Road in Elma. The next Town of Wales Board meeting is scheduled for Tuesday, April 11th at 7 p.m. at 12345 Big Tree Road in Wales Center. The Holland Town Board will next meet on Wednesday, April 12th at 7 p.m. at the Holland Town Board Hall at the Holland Town Hall on Pearl Street. The board generally meets on the second Wednesday of each month. The East Aurora School Board meets on Wednesday, April 19th at 7 p.m. at the East Aurora Middle School on Main Street. The Iroquois Central School Board meets on Wednesday, April 12th at 7 p.m. in the Iroquois Middle School on Girdle Road. And the Holland Central School Board will next meet on Monday, April 24th at 6 p.m. All meetings will be held in the Holland High School Auditorium unless otherwise posted. Residential Fire in Wales Under Investigation The Erie County Sheriff's Fire Investigation Unit is investigating a fatal fire at 13553 Strikersville Road in the town of Wales. On March 25th, at approximately 11.20 p.m., deputies responded to a residential fire where the Holland and Wales Fire Companies were working to extinguish the flames. An individual, believed to be the homeowner, was found deceased in the home. The fire is under investigation. Authorities are working to confirm the identity of the victim. Aurora Police Report Suspected hit-and-run at Plaza A vehicle is suspected of being involved in a hit-and-run accident at the Aurora Village Shopping Center on Gray Street. On March 18th, around 2 p.m., a female resident of East Aurora was shopping at the plaza at two different retailers. She moved her vehicle before entering the second store. When she returned to her vehicle, she noticed a long scratch and dent on the passenger side of the vehicle. Paint from another vehicle was not left over from the damage. The report says that the owner of the vehicle is adamant that the damage occurred at the plaza. One of the stores does not have a camera covering that section of the parking lot that she was parked at. The report says that the other store has been asked twice for video footage, but employees have to obtain the video from the corporate office. Property Damage Surveillance cameras mounted on the building at 695 Main Street in East Aurora assisted with identifying who was responsible for damage a parking spot on March 22nd. The cameras did not record the incident, which occurred around 9 p.m., but it did capture footage of another vehicle after the collision and multiple bystanders rushing to the area. A 31-year-old male from South Wales contacted the business the next day and reported the damage that he was responsible for. 
He was advised to contact the property owner and to contact law enforcement in the future if this situation ever happens again. The East Aurora Advisors Police Report is intended to provide information about lo local enforcement and activity using data provided by the East Aurora Police Department. Suspects' names are withheld from the blotter as the advertiser does not usually provide coverage of the courts nor investigative blotter. Erie County Sheriff's Report Authorities assisted in searching for Elma resident. Erie County Sheriff's duties attempted to locate an individual from Pound Road in Elma on March 19th that had not returned home. The individual was located during the investigation. In other area calls handled by the Erie County Sheriff's deputies out of the Elma substation, March 17th, no incidents were reported on this date. March 18th, a break-in was reported on Vermont Hill Road in Holland, and the case was transferred to detectives. March 19th, no incidents were reported. March 20th, a resident on Williston Road in Marilla reported that someone posing as an employee from Spectrum called and asked for money. He realized it was a scam and he did not give out personal information. On March 21st, a verbal argument occurred at a residence on Two Rod Road in Wales. No charges were filed. A male who was overdosing in a parking lot on Clinton Street in Elma was transported to ECMC for further treatment. March 22nd, an unwelcome guest was reported on Jameson Road in Elma. He eventually left. March 23rd, a driver who, who was driving erratically was pulled over on Olean Road in Holland and charged with DWI. The owner of a vehicle that was parked in a parking lot for an extended period of time was asked to remove it. The Sheriff's Report is intended to provide information about local enforcement and activity using data provided by the Erie County Sheriff's Office. The Sheriff's Office does not usually include the names of subjects in this reporting. Springville resident charged with trafficking narcotics. A 28-year-old 20, female resident from Springville was recently arrested and charged with trafficking methamphetamine throughout southern Erie County. The arrest follows a lengthy investigation by the Erie County Sheriff's Narcotics and Intelligence Unit. At approximately 5.30 a.m. on March 27th, uniformed deputies conducted a traffic stop while the subject was traveling on Route 20 in the town of Brant. The search discovered approximately 38 ounces of crystal methamphetamine and an un undetermined amount of U.S. currency. She was arrested and charged with the following. One felony count of criminal possession of a controlled substance, methamphetamine. One felony count of criminal possession of a stimulant with intent to sell. Two misdemeanor counts of criminal use of drug paraphernalia. The defendant is held at the Erie County Holding Center pending her arraignment. Former teacher sentenced to prison on child pornography charges. A 63-year-old male Amherst resident and former teacher at City Honors High School in Buffalo 
who was recently convicted of two counts of possession of child pornography, has been sentenced to serve 14 years in prison and 15 years supervised release. Buffalo police officers were called to City Honor School in 2019 following allegations that a middle school technology teacher named Peter Hingston was taking inappropriate photographs of female students with a GoPro camera. Officers secured the GoPro digital camera. A subsequent search of the camera resulted in the recovery of child pornography videos produced by Hingston involving minor victims who were under his custody, care, and supervisory control when the sexually explicit images were produced. Investigators also searched an external hard drive possessed by Hingston, which contained additional videos of child pornography produced by Hingston involving different minor victims who were also under his custody, care, and supervisory control. The sentencing is the result of an investigation by the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Buffalo Police Department, and the Town of Tonawanda Police Department. Construction begins on ADA-compliant trail at Zor Valley. The Valentine Flats parking area and trail at Zor Valley will be closed on weekdays beginning March 22nd to accommodate tree removal. Work at the site will advance the construction of New Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, compliant trail access. A anticipated reopening date is April in April is anticipated, which will reopen the Valentine Flats parking area and trail for a period of time after this preliminary tree removal is completed. The area will close again during the summer to accommodate construction of the new trail. The New York Department of Environmental Conservation, DEC, will notify the public prior to the summer closure. The addition of the new trail at Valentine Flats is among a suite of improvements to promote public safety and enhance the visitor experience at one of Western New York's most scenic and ecologically diverse natural areas. Other access points to the Zor Valley Multiple Use Area, MUA, and the Zor Valley Unique Area, including at Forty Road, as well as the Holcomb Pond and Ross Pond areas, remain open to visitors. DEC also encourages visitors to consider accessing other state properties across western New York. New Yorkers are encouraged to practice leave-no-trace principles at Zor and other natural spaces, and to practice safe and sustainable hiking based on conditions and experience levels. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the East Aurora Advertiser on the Niagara Frontier Radio reading service. Iroquois Central Budget shows $1.1 million gap. Article by David Dahl, Correspondent. Iroquois Central School District officials will try to eliminate a $1.1 million gap in the 2023-2024 budget during the next several weeks. The school board heard a presentation from John Wolski, business administrator, about the budget's possibilities in a work session before the board's meeting on Wednesday, February, 
I'm sorry, by the board's meeting on Wednesday, March 15th. District officials may review the projected enrollment and the cost of special education, BOCES, transportation, and buildings and grounds to trim the spending plan. These are the big areas we've got to look at, Wolski said. Officials will consider all options to balance the budget, said Superintendent Douglas Schofield. Is there another way to close the gap, he asked. The project- projected budget stands at $58,004,699, an increase of $3,020,147, or 5.49%, over the 22-23 budget. Wolski expects revenue to rise from $54,000,000 million $984,552 to $56,884,233, a jump of $1.899 million, or 3.45%. Without changes, the budget would force a 6.29% climb in the tax levy, the amount collected in property taxes. The state government has set a tax levy increase cap of 2.84%. Raising the tax levy above that level would require approval from at least 60% of the voters. A board member stressed residents should remember that the board has trimmed items from the budget in recent years. We have cut programs, said Sharon Saglowski, We have cut things. Those things don't come back. She emphasized that belt tightening has been a priority. I think that people need to remember cumulatively how much has been tightened, she said. Board members never decide which programs deserve more funding because they must consider what to remove, she, she added. It's a sad thing that we never get to say what would be good for us to do, she said. In January, Wolski projected a $1.4 million budget gap. Since then, Governor Kathleen Hochul has proposed the state budget and more state aid details have emerged. Wolski also anticipates an estimated 3% rise in foundation aid, the largest category of state aid. In addition to the budget, voters will decide on a proposition to purchase four full-size buses for over $640,000 and a 30-passenger wheelchair-equipped bus for around $90,000. Another proposition would establish a third repair reserve fund of no more than $450,000 funded by future fund balances. The district has a $461,420 reserved fund set in 2012 and a 28618 fund from 2009. Board members can authorize withdrawals from the reserve funds for unexpected repairs or replacements, such as the boiler in Wales Primary School that cost $40,000. Creating another fund would not affect property taxes. The board also scheduled another budget work session, for 6 p.m. on April 12th, before the board meeting in room 96 of the middle school, a public hearing about the budget 
has been set during the board meeting at 6.30 p.m. on May 9th in room 96 of the middle school. Voting hours for the budget, other propositions, and a pair of board seats will be from 7.30 a.m. to 9 p.m. May 16th in, in the Intermediate Buildings Gymnasium. In another matter, Schofield mentioned a discussion at the New York State Council of School Superintendents meeting in which Betty Rosa, State Education Commissioner, told the group she hopes to eventually place all four-year-olds in pre-kindergarten and then all three-year-olds in preschool. Board members Louise Toth and Heather Jacobs were absent. National Poison Prevention Week raises awareness to help prevent poisonings. The New York State Department of State's Division of Consumer Protection is reminding residents about prevention measures to reduce the risk of poisoning. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, poisoning is a significant problem in the United States and is the leading cause of unintentional injury deaths surpassing motor vehicle crashes. Accidental poisonings can happen to both children and adults, and this week is a good reminder to review potential hazards in your home and secure poisonous substances to avoid unnecessary illness or tragedy. Everyday household items such as cleaning supplies, cosmetic personal care products, medications, or faulty carbon monoxide detectors can pose serious harm if not properly stored or maintained. Poisoning Prevention Tips Educate yourself about the risk. Read the labels of household items to understand the risk of exposure. Teach children to stay away from personal care and household products and use appropriate language. For example, never refer to medicines as candy, as that can be confusing to children. Keep poisons out of the reach of children. Children under 6 years of age are at high risk of exposure. According to the National Poison Data Systems, cosmetics, personal care products, cleaning products, and medicine lead the list of the most common substances implicated in pediatric exposures. Lock these items behind child-proof locks or keep them out of reach and out of sight to prevent accidental exposure. Below are examples of some poisonous items to keep away from children, as some resemble candy, juice, or other edible products. Laundry Pods Colored cleaning fluids that look like juice always store household cleaners in their original containers and not in food containers or other bottles where it may be difficult to distinguish what is in the container. Any gummy medications, vitamins or gummies with CBD or THC, and any items containing alcohol, such as mouthwash, perfumes, hand sanitizers, and food extracts. Reduce the risk of carbon monoxide poisoning. Exposure to carbon monoxide results in thousands of emergency room visits every year. Consumers should make sure carbon monoxide alarms are installed on every level of the home and outside of sleeping areas, and that Alarms are tested monthly. Clean your home safely. 
reduce the risk of inhaling poisonous fumes from household cleaners. Open windows or turn on fans while using cleaning products. Never mix chemicals or household cleaners to prevent creating noxious gases. Spray products away from people and pets and keep products away from the skin using gloves. Reduce poison risks outside the home. Pesticides can be dangerous even in small quantities as they can be absorbed through the skin or inhaled. If using pesticides, such as bug spray, wear long sleeves, gloves, or other protective clothing. Stay away from areas that have been sprayed with pesticides until the spray has dried for at least one hour. If your skin makes contact with pesticides, make sure to rinse the area with running water for 15 to 20 minutes. Remove and wash clothing after using chemicals. National Poison Prevention Week originated to raise awareness of poison prevention and safety. It was established in 1961. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the East Aurora Advertiser on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Health Screenings, Resources, and Produce in East Aurora. A good-for-the-neighborhood event Offering free health screenings, resources, and information from healthcare professionals, along with fresh fruits, vegetables, and family fun activities, has been organized by the Independent Health Foundation this week. This event will take place at the Rural Art Outreach Center, located at 730 Olean Road, East Aurora, on April 1st, from 10 a.m. until noon. It is one of several events. That has already happened. STEM program coming to Iroquois Central School District. Camp Invention, a nationally recognized nonprofit summer enrichment program, is coming to Iroquois Central School District the week of June 26th through June 30th. A program of the National Inventors Hall of Fame, in partnership with the United States Patent and Trademark Office, Camp Invention challenges children from kindergarten to sixth grade to tap in their natural curiosity and use their creativity to solve problems. Through hands-on activities, Camp Invention promotes STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Learning builds confidence, leadership, perseverance, and resourcefulness, and encourages entrepreneurship. Each year, the program features a new curriculum inspired by some of our nation's most world-changing inventors, the National Inventors Hall of Fame inductees. This year's Wonder Program encourages children to be confident in their ideas and and explore their innovativeness through hands-on activities, including catching air, taking a confidence-building ride through physics, engineering, and art, Children design and build their own skate park. Invention Celebration Campers take on the role of event planners as they throw a party celebrating creativity and innovation. Mimic Bots Children show their unique style when they transform a robot that mimics sounds into a -a one-of-a-kind animatronic stuffy. Pop-Up Venture Big ideas come to life 
as campers design their own mini pop-up business. All local camp invention programs are facilitated and taught by qualified educators who reside and teach in the community. Camp Invention serves 118,000 students every year and partners with more than 2,200 schools and districts across the nation. For more information or to register, visit invent.org camp. Life and Leisure Section Music Fest Permit on Hold by Shelley Ferrillo, Editor The Village Board in East Aurora has tabled authorizing a temporary use permit to the organizers of Music Fest until they learn more event details that were not included in the application. Music Fest is currently scheduled for Saturday, June 10th from 1.30 p.m., until approximately 10.30 p.m. The application says that during these hours, live music will be playing at 10 locations throughout the village, including East Aurora Classic Rink on Riley Street, Wallenwines Hotel on Oakwood Avenue, East Aurora Fireman's Field off of Pine Street Extension, and a parking lot on Hamlin Avenue, among other locations. The application says that 10,000 people are expected to participate in the event and a portion of the proceeds will be divided up to, to benefit the South Wales Volunteer Fire Company, Aurora Players, East Aurora Holland Football Boosters, Greater Buffalo Adaptive Sports Buffalo Wheelchair Football Program, and the Matthew Foster Foundation. A representative from MusicFest was not at the March 20th meeting. The permit was initially approved, but the motion was tabled during the discussion that followed. Mayor Peter Mercurio said that the application for temporary use permits was recently changed, and it now asked applicants to provide the specifics of how the proceeds will be donated to the charities listed, namely percentage breakdowns to the organizations. The application for Music Fest answers by stating, to be determined. I know historically they have been very generous to the local charities they choose, but I would like to know the percentage, Mercurio said. Village officials would also like to see the event using additional temporary lighting. In years past, Music Fest would add portable construction lights to Riley Street, the intersection of Riley and Main Streets, and on the west end of the village near the crosswalk. Chief of Chief of Police Shane Krieger said that the event forgot these lights in 2022. He would like to see the event bring them back to increase safety. The application also does not mention if shuttles will be provided to attendees. If they aren't sending buses to the venue at Fireman's Field, there will be a lot of people walking up and down Pine Street in the dark, Krieger said. Officials also commented that they would like to see a list of events, food trucks, and their permits, as well as additional garbage cans to manage waste. In other news, the board approved a special-use permit for a new bar to open up where the Cider House is currently located, at 198 Main Street, called the Bar at Main and Hamlin. It will be open every day from 4 p.m. to 2 a.m., and it will be run by East Aurora resident Andrew Miller 
and his business partner, Joseph Morcelli. The establishment will have a kitchen with bar food, a liquor license to expand the drink menu, and outdoor seating. No members of the public provided comments in favor or against the business during the public hearing. The village began using the notification service called Code Red, and they are encouraging residents to sign up. Code Red is a free notification service that has the ability to send alerts concerning time-sensitive and or emergency information that may impact the area right to phones in the form of calls, texts, and emails. This service can be activated by scanning the QR code. Expanded Borderland Returns to Knox Park This September will mark the 5th Borderland Music and Arts Festival at Knox Farm State Park, and it comes with a twist. The festival now has a Friday night headliner. In addition to a full day of music on Saturday and some jam time on Sunday, gates will open to the general public Friday afternoon. More music on Friday means less of a conflict with the Buffalo Bills schedule on Sunday, and fans who love music and sports will have time to do both that weekend with less potential for a conflict. We all know Buffalo is a football city, and we want to integrate with that, not compete, festival organizer Jennifer Brazil told the newspaper. Because we never know the NFL schedule until the middle of May, we, ne- we may never know if we will be a Sunday home game during Borderland weekend. This year, we made the decision to mitigate against that risk and add a big Friday night headliner while ending earlier on Sunday. The festival, scheduled from September 15th through September 17th, will include more than 20 bands on two stages. Included in the lineup are Trey Anstachio with classic TAB from Fish, Goose, Dawes, the infamous String Dusters, Sammy Ray and Friends, Neil Francis, Mighty Poplar, the 502s, and the Krasno Moore Project. Many local performers like Mo, a girl named names Jenny, Never Been, and Buffalo Colored. Spring events at Aurora Library. The following events are at the Aurora Town Public Library, located at 550 Main Street, East Aurora. For more information or to register, Call 716-652-4440. Poem in Your Pocket Day. Visit the library on Saturday, April 29th to participate in National Poem in Your Pocket Day 2023. Poems written by Parkdale Elementary students will be available for library visits, visits visitors to take, carry, and share. Stop in between the hours of 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. to get your free poem. Supplies are limited. No registration is necessary. Celebrate Screen-Free Week with Extreme Bingo. In celebration of Screen-Free Week 2023, children in kindergarten to third grade are invited on April 29th at 11 a.m. to play Extreme Bingo. The program will feature themed bingo games, 
unexpected twists and prizes. Space is limited and registration is required. Back to the expanded Borderland Returns to Knox Park, the festival also has performers like the Buffalo Colored Musicians Club, and they're also in the lineup among others. The full lineup will be released over the next few months as the festival approaches. Single-day tickets will be available for purchase, as well as VIP passes and three-day weekend passes. Every year we try to find ways to bring new and different experiences to festival attendees, Brazil said. We feel like fans have more of a sense of freedom on Friday nights to hang out rather than on a Sunday evening when they know they have to be up for work the next morning or they need to travel home a longer distance. Fans can join us for the last set on Sunday and be heading home by sunset. The festival has also partnered with Kissing Bridge Ski Resort to offer local tent camping options to traveling fans. Children's 10 years old and younger, with a parent or guardian, will not be charged to attend the festival. For more information and current updates, visit BorderlandFestival.com. Bagpipe Players Withdraw from Local Parades The Haggis and Harp Bagpipe Band and Drum Corps of South Buffalo has withdrawn its application to march in the 2023 3rd of July Parade. They have reservations that their traditional costumes will cause riots, protests, spitballs, and fires in the streets of East Aurora. Pipemaster Pete McFerguson commented, The recent kerfuffle over cross-dressing drag shows and gender impersonation in your fair burg has us in a tither about wearing our kilts down Main Street. McFerguson told the organizer, Lordy, what if we get arrested for fined halfway along the route for dressing like women? And begolly, we are not wearing plaid pants when it's 85 degrees. Now that would be a drag. You've been listening to a reading of articles and features from the March 30th, 2023 issue of the East Aurora Advertiser. Your reader has been Bruce. Thank you for listening.